0: I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24/7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dan, and I am pleased to include a great conversation on I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship from a different perspective uh, than what I'm used to. So uh, I'm joined today by a special guest. Uh, they are the Community Impact Lead at the YWCA in Kalamazoo. Jay Kian, Jay, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Dan, it's good to be here.
0: I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased to have you aboard. It's so, it's so strange to me as the host to say I'm happy to have you here because we're talking about very serious things. But I am very happy to have you here and and shed the light on a community that, as I mentioned, I, I may not always, not that I don't remember that you're here, that this community is here, but I don't think about it because as a cisgender, hetero, uh, male, I am not always at the forefront of the LGBTQ plus community. And so I am pleased to be welcomed to this conversation. Um, As that straight white guy, I think of domestic violence and and sexual abuse as so often a straight guy doing this to a straight woman. And so it's just like a husband and a wife and that's it. And And we so often kind of go back to that as a, as a lazy metaphor or a lazy situation, a metaphor, but a lazy situation. And so I want to shed light on this Um, as someone who is at the YWCA J YWCA comma J what do you see in helping those who come in for help? Is it not just that simple? A woman is beaten by a man and this is what we're going to take on. Like what other, survivor stories and victim situations do you see?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I won't uh, share anything too explicit for just our listeners, but also for the survivors that we um, serve. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that, um, what we know is that anybody regardless of identity can be a survivor and also anybody regardless of identity can be a perpetrator. Um, this, the narrative of uh, the man-woman dynamic and having the man be a perpetrator, um, there is some truth to it because there's this leveraging of uh, privilege in the United States context. And it's not that simple, I, you, You're absolutely right on that. Um, there's, there's a route to the violence. Um, and so when I think about the framework of uh, LGBTQIA folks um, being at risk, for intimate partner violence or domestic violence or sexual assault, sometimes that's not helpful to me (laughs) because it doesn't share the whole story of why we find marginalized people to be victims of violence in the first place. Um, We're not at risk because of our identities, but because our nation systems put us at risk which I know is a bold statement to make, but LGBTQIA plus folks uh, don't have the same access or protections when it comes to adequate housing, food, healthcare, employment. And these are all things that abusers leverage. Mm.
0: That's a great point. Gosh. Yeah. There's so, there's so much behind perpetrators and behind violence, behind abuse, it isn't always physical violence. it can be, as you you know you mentioned, uh, access to housing, so it can be economic, uh, emotional, anything like that. When you when you have someone come to you to the YWCA and they don't necessarily fit these stereotypical identities, does the help still look the same? Do you find it, you have other things to kind of unpack with them? You know, as it, again, as, as this cisgender hetero person, what am I missing?
1: Yeah. Um, first I want to give some context. So as a community impact lead, I don't often, um, do direct services. So I, I, I want to make sure that I'm answering that question with integrity, mm-hmm. um, I what I do um, offer or what I can offer is uh, my own understanding as a survivor, uh, as a person of color, as a Burmese-Chinese non-binary survivor, but also just like some trends we see um, in the United States context. So uh, it's a My answer would be a (laughs) both-and answer. (laughs) I think a lot of the services are the same in that we always want to offer wraparound services. So services that provide um, all of the things necessary for life in this country. Um, So that includes our 24-hour crisis hotline. We have an emergency shelter. actually we have multiple now. Uh, We have a few family shelters and then uh, we also accept um, people of all gender identities. So the customization of that is that we understand that not everybody understands people with uh, transgender, gender identities or non-binary or gender fluid identities. Mm -hmm. So we often find um, like other alternatives instead of shelters, like we make sure that they have maybe a hotel room um, for an X amount of days, depending on their situation. So there's that, Um, we have a legal team. We offer personal protection order assistance Uh, We have a sexual assault nurse examination where um, our clinicians are trained to talk about different bodies. Um, We have survivor-centered support groups where uh, our sexual assault advocates also have a good understanding about gender identity. Um, We have a specific I know I'm just like naming all of the services now. Yeah, no, that's all right. It's for like, It's interesting. Yeah, we, so even when we talk about therapy, we have um, a therapist that specializes in LGBTQIA clients. Um, so yeah, it's I, all of the survivors and victims of abuse um, need similar things, which is all of the things necessary for life. Yeah. Um, what we address is also difference in access and, um, the reaction of systems to queer or LGBTQI identities.
0: Hmm. So you made a good point. We dove right into the deep end. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> think about Help me understand, <laughs> like, What do you do? What is a community impact lead? Um, That's right. I was so excited to like just 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 get into this. I'm this is just a a very personal thing. I'm very interested in people's stories, and I feel a great uh, appreciation and privilege to be able to help showcase. Right, I understand that as that as my place in this world, my privilege allows me to move about kind of anywhere but I prefer to use that to help showcase and I'm and I'm interested in other communities of which, to which I don't belong. So whether it's your person of color status, it's your LGBTQIA status, it's your survivor status, the fact that it's, that it's different. I don't want to be a voyeur, but I want to help understand and bring that empathy to others. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. Um, so let's go back then take a step back and we'll take a breather and say, okay, what does community impact lead mean then at YWCA for you, Jay?
1: yes so i might as i might as well introduce myself as well yeah <laughs> so um i'm jay Kian. Um, i go by they them pronouns it's important for me to always state my pronouns um, especially around adults because um the trevor project uh sent out some research saying that lgbt uh youth who are surrounded by adults who use the same language as them are half as likely to attempt to commit suicide. So, being able to use that language um, appropriately and freely uh, with other adults is a goal of mine, and to make sure that we're taking care of our youth and our youngers properly in all the ways possible. Um, Community Impact Lead. So I am the Community Impact Lead, which is just a fancy way of saying that I am responsible for our community education. Um, And that curriculum includes sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking, and racial equity. I'm also uh, responsible for some community facing events so we have some awareness months um, and we always try to partner with some local partners as well
0: gotcha yeah I you know I'm, I'm in my mid40s now so I'm not old school but I'm certainly not young I would say um, but in the last couple of years as, I, as I've seen this I'm I, I'm personally very active on social media. Uh, in Twitter and Instagram, especially, and have seen this coming, this pronoun discussion coming, and so um, I've added those to my social media. And some people kind of laugh and go, "Yeah, but you're cisgender, hetero. You, n- nobody cares." I'm like, "No, but but it's important to have this discussion." So thank you for sharing that. Um, and and yeah, I mean, just because I'm what might seem stereotypically normal doesn't mean that I'm normal. And being able to have these discussions and normalize the fact that we do. Introduce pronouns, I think, is is important. So, anyway, just a, a soapbox moment. Um, so as I was looking at the YWCA website, looking at things like your um, the, the the advocacy programs, the the services that you provide, all this stuff, I noticed a logo that says "safe space" uh, for the LGBTQIA community. What does what does that mean for the YWCA to be a safe space? Is this something? that is bestowed upon you? Is this just a a mission and um, and your your core values? What does that mean to be a safe space?
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting question because we have been uh, talking internally a lot about also brave spaces. So uh, I'll talk about safe spaces and maybe we can talk about the difference because there is definitely a difference. So when we talk about safe spaces, especially for victims of abuse, um, what we mean is that people should be able to heal uh, as who they are. So if if a queer person of color comes in asking for help, they should be able to heal without having to hide uh, any part of their identity. So that's that's sort of what we mean by safe space, is that safe spaces are healing spaces where we can um, be our full selves. And uh, that's something that we have to actively create. I can't just offer a safe space and say that I'm a safe person without creating the conditions, Um, which includes things like an understanding of a client's identity or um or maintaining confidentiality and all the things that uh, help us move at the speed of trust Uh, brave spaces that's what we use when we challenge systems (laughs) brave spaces are when we have some very uncomfortable conversations and we engage in conflict in a helpful way. Hmm. Um, So when we talk about racism, I know, and I say this in every workshop, I cannot promise a safe space when we talk about race and racism in the United States. Same when we talk about LGBTQIA identity. So when we're in a brave space, this is when we're often challenging the norm um, challenging the idea of, oh, we've always done it this way. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's... I, I find myself more often in the last year or two here in those brave spaces where some very brave people allow me to ask dumb questions without judgment, <laughs> um, which I'm so grateful for. How, how does somebody... So whether it's like the official safe space that you talked about moving at the speed of trust, th- that's amazing, Jay. Whether we're talking about that, that kind of a thing, or just the fact that I'm a safe person and an ally, how do I show that without telling with, by building trust, that kind of a thing, what can we
1: do to help people feel safe? Well, first moving at the speed of trust is something I borrowed from Adrian Marie Brown, um, who is just a lovely person who talks about emergent strategy, and I encourage folks to search her up. Um, As for your question, sometimes you just can't be, which I think is hard to hear for some folks, but sometimes um, that's not what people need is, like people don't need to talk to other folks or lean on to other folks who don't have the same identities as them if they have marginalized identities. So that's just a reality that I wanna name, um, especially when it comes to healing. But another thing is, I think folks will understand if you're a safe person or if anybody with other identities are safe people uh, based off of action. So the language uh, that we use to talk about LGBT people, um, how we interact with LGBT siblings, these are all the things that uh, give indicators of safety or non-safety. Okay,
0: small, the, the, the small things yeah. add up to the big things, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's I guess on one hand it's hard to hear especially for me as a, as a white American, that maybe some, a person of color won't, fi- won't see me as a safe person. And that's okay. Like I have to be not offended by that in respect and just say, okay, I, I am here if you need someone, but if not, it doesn't have to be me. Okay. I respect that. So something to keep in mind for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, how can those who are there, I know how to ask this. There's so many different intersections where things come together where marginalized folks sit. But for those of us who are not part of that, how can we begin to 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 highlight that and help and be a part of these discussions without coming off as frankly the white savior?
1: Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I so there's some truth in that, right? When we talk about um caring for victims of abuse, we are socialized to help save, fix uh, versus (laughs) change why that violence happened in the first place. Uh, It's easy to have a more reactionary response and I often find myself having these responses um, as well because it's talking about Domestic violence and sexual assault is just such a hard topic and a part of the reason why I was interested in this podcast too. Um, But a way in which people with privileged identities can be helpful is just by leveraging what we have. And I say we, too, because even though I have some marginalized identities, I also have a lot of privileged identities. Like I'm a first-generation college student, but I also have a master's degree. And that that gives me a lot of access that people don't have. Mm. So how I would use it is um, making sure that I'm distributing resources equitably, so not only money but land and using buildings and spaces and making sure that our community um, has that in the most affordable way possible. Um, other ways are calling in people with our same identities, um, which I think is, can be very scary, but that's the brave part of a brave space. Yeah. And to do that graciously too. Because, some, like, folks don't know what they don't know, and that's fine, but um, it still impacts how people live. Yeah.
0: Jay, this has been incredibly uplifting and educational. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked or touched on that you want to make sure
1: listeners hear? I want to let folks know. I want to let folks know that um, even though we're doing a lot of things right, like YWCA Kalamazoo is doing a lot of things right, um, like we have all of the services I talked about. We have the first reproductive health fund in the country, um, which just financially supports reproductive and sexual health care options like maternal health, abortions, gender affirming care. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have a lot to learn and a lot to work on. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I have a whole laundry list of things that I always wanna challenge, but a really simple one is that we don't have gender neutral bathrooms yet, even though we accept people of all genders, right? Mm So, There's a lot of things that we need to shift, and that's okay. Uh, We're doing it a little bit at a time. Another thing I want folks to know is that um, if they are in the state of Michigan, and they are a survivor or victim of abuse, to please reach out to YWCA Kalamazoo. Um, Even though we're based in Kalamazoo we we have calls from all over the state and sometimes from the other side of the country. Um, and we, we want to help you. And we will believe you and work at your pace. So we won't start anything without your consent. Um, if you're in crisis, our hotline is 269-385-3587.
0: And I know it... At DASIS, we've partnered with YWCA over the years and trade services or send people in or whatever. So it's definitely a, a great partnership. And yeah, for those who are in crisis, please call. Um, and for those who are around, please go. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for being a part of I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. If we can be of any service to you and your efforts and everything going on, we're here for you. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you.
0: I'll be out. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, D-A-S-A-S-M-I dot org. That's d a s a s m i dot org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word help us to combat domestic and sexual violence we also welcome financial and volunteer support that information is on our website thank you to the staff volunteers and board of directors at domestic and sexual abuse services this podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates thank you to wbet radio in sturgis michigan for the use of their studio this has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.